0: Well, the prayer of that last song is a beautiful reflection of a right response to the reality of God's Spirit present in our lives. And if you've trusted in Christ as Savior today, then that is true in your life. God is in you by His Spirit. If you've not trusted in Christ today, I encourage you to consider that reality as we study this text and the importance of having your sins washed away and God's very presence in you and in your life. As we approach this text, you may have sensed it in chapter 5, this is a heavy text of Scripture. I'll admit to you, as I was reading through the book of Acts, you know, maybe a year ago, considering whether our church ought to go through this series, it was Acts chapter 5 that left me hesitant. I didn't know if I wanted to preach this text, answer the questions that it raises in our hearts and minds. What is God doing? As Ananias and Sapphira die The presence there of the early church is the result of God's hand upon them. It's heavy stuff. As I studied this passage this week, pardon me, the Lord brought it to bear in my own heart and life and the importance of the presence of God's Spirit among us. I believe that's the lesson that the Lord was teaching the early church in light of Ananias and Sapphira and their choice to sin against God, and I believe that's the lesson He has for us today. As we open the Word, we approach it with humility of heart that says, Lord, purify our hearts and our church. We also have this incredible positive example in this text. At the end of chapter 4, we see the the rich joy and unity and, and love that draw together the early church. Again, I think in light of the Spirit's presence in them. It's really all about what God has done through Jesus and now giving us His presence in and among us. I've known that truth for much of my Christian life. But never has the weight of that truth weighed upon me like it has this week. God is with us. He's with us. And so as we come to this text, my prayer is that we would all respect the presence of God's Spirit in His church. He is here right now. I went through our church directory this week in light of the weight of this text and prayed for everyone in our church directory by name because of this text. And my prayer is that if you have trusted in Christ as Savior, oh, that the weight of the glory of God in you today would encourage your soul to draw near to Him to come clean if needed, and delight in the work of God in your heart. I'll gain my composure up here, forgive me. But this is a heavy text. Friends, we need to respect the presence of God's Spirit in the church. How do we do this? Well, we'll see four examples in the text. I'll move through them quickly. The first two are both positive examples. The last two as you can guess, are negative examples. The positive examples are there in chapter 4, and Luke gives us first the, the big picture. He paints this portrait of the church body and the way they are functioning in their interaction with one another, and it's beautiful. And then he zooms in as our second example and gives us one man named Barnabas, who is just an example of an individual who's responding to the Spirit's work. And then in chapter 5, we're given these two negative examples, Ananias and Sapphira. And though they have joined together in this act of sin, their experience is a little bit different And we'll see how Luke highlights that and how the Spirit highlights that as we work through those. And so we're going to see four ideas here as we consider what it means to respect the presence of God's Spirit in the church. Number one, as we see the the larger church here, it's important that we embrace The unity, witness, grace, and care that the Spirit produces among us. And we've been thinking about this as we've been watching in the first few chapters of Acts, how the Spirit is powerfully at work and is creating unity among the believers and love. And they're boldly speaking the words of Christ, even under threat. Where's all this coming from? It's coming from the work of God's Spirit among His people. I think it's significant. If we look back at the context in chapter 4, verse 31, this is where we ended last week. The believers had prayed for boldness to speak the Word, and how did God answer that prayer? Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So I think the description that comes in verses 32 through 35 is what the church looks like when yielded to the Holy Spirit. Now this filling is different than the initial baptism where they were then indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Filling is when a believer yields to the empowering work of God to do what God has called us to do. Notice the things that are mentioned in verses 32 through 35. They were of one heart and one soul. This is spiritual unity in the church. This is not produced by people. This is a work of God. And in fact, Jesus in his instructions to the disciples in John 15 through 17, which you remember studying together, had told them that the coming of the Spirit would make them one as he and the Father are one. And so we're seeing that unity played out in the church As the Spirit helps them to set aside their preferences and love one another, they're united around Christ and around this mission to declare to the world that Jesus is the Savior. They're one in heart and soul. Not only that, you have this love and care mentioned in the end of verse 32. They didn't say uh, that any of the things they possessed was their own, but they had all things in common. This is a recognition of stewardship, that all that we have is from God, and that God may want to use the things I'm stewarding to help others. It's not just for me. And so they're meeting needs in the church, using the things they have to care for one another. Now, This is based on need. What will go on in the text, there was no command that they give up everything or that they sell everything or any of that. You'll notice that's actually part of what goes wrong with Ananias and Sapphira. There's no command that they sell everything. What they're doing is just yielding to the Spirit and as needs come up in the church, oh, I can meet that need. I don't really need this thing. I'll sell it and you can have it and you can meet this need that you have. They're caring for one another. And this is significant in the way the church is helping each other. There's care and kindness and favor. They also experienced power. Notice that in verse 33. They're seeing as the apostles and others in the church are witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with boldness, with power in answer to their prayer from the Lord. And as 33 closes, it says, Great grace was upon them all. God's favor was upon them. He'd given them His Spirit. He's meeting their needs. He's empowering their growth. God's favor was upon them all. And so as God's grace poured down upon His people, they ministered that grace to one another in serving and giving and loving. And the church is just thriving by the work of the Spirit here. Verse 34, there wasn't any lack among them. All their needs were being met. Because those who had land and houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed as each one had need. Verse 35, so as needs came up, they trusted the leaders. Here, here, here's what we have. As there are needs, meet needs in the church. And so the apostles helped to distribute to those who had needs that came up so there's care, there's kindness, there's love. There's witness to the fact that Jesus is the Savior. All these things God had predicted would happen as a result of the presence of His Spirit among His people. And it's happening. These are miraculous signs of God's Spirit at work. Friends, as we consider the church, as we see these things present in our church, and they are... Look around. You can see evidence of these things among your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Maranatha Baptist Church. And that's not a pat ourselves on the back, we're doing well. That's a praise God for His Spirit at work among us. And so keep yielding to that Spirit. You want to see unity in the church? You want to see love and care for one another Yield to the work of God's Spirit among us. That's how God produces these things. Expect to see these things in the church as God is at work. Expect to see the Spirit working in others around you to bear with our differences. To say, you know, there's no reason those two people should be friends. (laughs) Their personalities are different, their, their interests are different. Why are they so close? Ah, they love the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the same Spirit in them who brings unity beyond our differences. Expect to see witness in the church that we are gathered around this same mission to make the name of Christ known. So expect to see that happening among your brothers and sisters and be excited when you hear somebody had the chance to share. And remember that even that open door to share the gospel was not their uh, just amazing skill at finding an open door, but the work of God's Spirit among us. Praise God. Look for God's grace. See, this is the beauty of the New Testament. This is not legalism like the Old Testament that we produce unity and grace and and love. And as we do these things, then we'll experience God's favor. No, no, no. It's the reverse. God has favored us with His Son and with His Spirit. And so then in response, we say, okay, Lord, anything, anything. And as He has favored us with His grace, then we're quick to serve and give and to minister that grace to those around us because we live in awe of the way he has favored me and you. Expect to see God's care among his people another work of God's Spirit. And sure, we try to operate according to Scripture. This is why you know, we have a budget for the, the planned needs of the body of Christ through the year. And this is why we give faithfully toward that budget. Right? This just reflects the ideas in this text of Scripture. Even more closely, it's why we have a benevolent fund. So those, when those unplanned needs come up, Our people have sacrificed to give so that there are funds to help meet those needs that come up. That's love. Expect to see that. Why? Uh, Not because we just have generous people here, but because God's Spirit is at work among us. And He is. Praise God. So friends, I encourage you. Yield to God's Spirit and expect to see these things in your heart and life. As God works in you. So this is the big picture. God in the church producing these things, multiplying the impact of the local church. But then we zoom in in verses 36 and 37. And so number two today, we see that we need to yield to his leading in our own lives. This is not just big picture like, yes, good, go church. Yield to the Spirit and do these amazing things. But then Luke zooms it in to us as individuals as he gives the example of Barnabas here. Barnabas isn't the only one who's doing this. It's just an example. I think Luke chooses Barnabas because this is a great way to introduce him to us. A man who's going to come up many times through the rest of the book of Acts. So here's our introduction to Barnabas, verses 36 and 37. Joseph, or some of your translations will say Joseph, either way, who is also named Barnabas by the Apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the Apostles' feet. So Barnabas' name is Joseph, or Joseph, depending on how it's translated. That's his original name. This was such a common name in that time. uh, It was often common to have a nickname to go along with it so you could identify him. And the apostles had seen Barnabas' tendency to be an encourager, so we can assume. And so they'd name him son of encouragement. He's just one through whom much encouragement came in the early church. And you'll see that as we continue our way through the book of Acts, how Barnabas is indeed an encourager. And he's participating in the life of the church by the work of the Spirit through him. We learn a little bit about him. He's a Levite of the country of Cyprus. So that means he's of the priestly tribe. That was the tribe of Levi. It doesn't mean he's a priest. Not all the Levites were priests, but that's from the tribe from which the priests were selected. So uh, it was a respected tribe, so kind of a higher class tribe, so to speak, because it was the priestly line. And uh, Barnabas lived in Cyprus, actually. And so he's another neat example of probably what many of these believers were and why meeting needs was so important. They had traveled to Jerusalem for the feast. They trusted in Christ as Savior. And now the one only local church in the whole world at this point, they want to be near their new family. And so Barnabas stays. And I think many of the early church believers were pilgrims, left their home and stayed in Jerusalem because that's where their church was. (laughs) So Barnabas is one of these, from Cyprus, but now staying in Jerusalem. He has land back in Cyprus, and so he arranges to have it sold so he can meet needs there in the early church. Just a sweet example of Barnabas's yieldedness to God and readiness to use what he has to care for the needs of others, to meet the needs of his new family, the family of God, the body of Christ. And so in this personal and specific example, we are reminded of the importance of not only seeing the Spirit at work in our church, but personally yielding to the work of God's Spirit. What does that look like for me? Now, the the direct application of this is not sell your land and give to the church or whatever. The point is to yield to God's Spirit. To let Him direct your steps and your decisions. To be ready to walk by faith in what God's Word says and how God is leading in your life. So the question that weighs on us in response to this part about Barnabas is how is the Holy Spirit working in your heart? Friends, we know this most clearly by the Word of God. We're not talking about mystical stuff here, like you know, searching out the signs in the sky or something like that to determine what God's will is. No, it always begins with His written Word where we search the Scriptures to understand how God wants to work through me, what He would have me to do. And so how is the Word of God speaking into your life? Maybe He's working in your heart regarding the conviction of sin, something you know you've done. And you come across a verse, and as you read the verse, it just weighs upon your heart, ooh, I did that with, with that person or against the Lord. Yield. As God works in your heart through His Word, responds with tenderness of heart. Yield to Him and do what He's seeking to do in your heart through His Word. Maybe He's working in your life in some step of faith and you're seeking His direction on what to do next and, These can be difficult sometimes, but again, I encourage you to turn to the Scriptures. The Lord has worked in my life many times in leading up to large decisions just through His Word. As the decision comes to just take the time to read through the Scriptures in mass amounts, (laughs) Lord, speak to my heart through Your Word guide my thinking. As I read your words, change my desires to match your desires, that my priorities would align with your priorities. And so, as the scriptures come in, God can work through His Word to help me make, then, a wise choice, wise decision, pleasing to Him and aligning with His Word. The point is, we yield. As we come to the scriptures, we tenderize our hearts under the the pounder of the meat tenderizer, right? Lord, work work in me what you would have through the words of Scripture. Well, these are our positive examples as we consider this text. And the church as a whole, seeing the work of the Spirit produce these positive things among them, unity and witness and grace and care for one another. We see it evidenced in an individual's life as Barnabas makes what, on a humanly speaking financial level, probably would have been considered this unwise financial move, right? No, 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 don't sell your land. But in his case, yields to what God is doing in his heart, ready to meet needs, ready to care for one another. It's just open-handed, yes, Lord. Now we head into our two negative examples. The first thing we'll see, number three today, is we need to recognize that resisting the Spirit is sin against God. As God is at work in our hearts through His Word and through His Spirit, to resist that is sin against God. Now that seems like a really obvious point to make. But we don't think of it very often. We like to deceive ourselves. Ananias and his wife Sapphira had decided together, we notice in verse 1, to sell some of their possessions. We find out in verse 8 that it included some land. At this point, we don't know their reason, and so we could assume the best. They're just also, you know, following the Lord's work in their life and maybe wanted to do this to please Him, but we find out in verse 2 that's not the case. Verse 2 tells us that Ananias kept back part of the proceeds. His wife was aware of it, so now she's colluding with him in this sin. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now there's something significant we need to understand. The problem is not actually that they just didn't give all of it. Sometimes we look at this and think that that's the issue here. They were supposed to give everything. Well, the word kept back is often used in financial circles to talk about fraud, meaning keeping back the truth, keeping back the accurate accounting of what happened with the numbers, right? So what we're talking about here is fraud. It's deceit. It's a lie. They're presenting as if they're giving everything and hiding the fact that they'd kept back some for themselves. Now, as we'll see, it really isn't a problem that if they had been honest about not giving everything, there would have been no issue. It's the lie that's the issue. You'll see as that unfolds. And so they keep up pretenses in verse 2, they come in just like everybody else, they lay it at the apostles' feet, this act of you know, outward humition, humility and submission, you do with it what you want, you know, this testifying to their brothers and sisters that, that their hearts are right, they're ready to serve in this way, but in their hearts they know they're keeping something back. Peter, with God's help, we're not told exactly what happened here, but Peter knows the same spirit is in Peter that I believe is also in Ananias and Sapphira. I think they are believers. And so Peter confronts Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? To keep back, to withhold, to lie. Peter says that Satan has filled his heart, and this doesn't mean that he's an unbeliever. The word filled is similar to the word that's, or excuse me, it's not similar to, it's the same word that's used being filled with the Holy Spirit. Which isn't part of being saved. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's who we're following, who we're yielding to. And so Peter's saying here, rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit, rather than following the Spirit, you're following Satan. You're opposing God in the way you're acting here. The word Satan means adversary, one who opposes God. And so he has committed this lie. Verse 4, Peter points out the absurdity of this sin. While it remained, was it not your own? Meaning, look, Ananias, God had given it to you. You didn't have to sell it. It was yours. You could have just kept it. Next he says, after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Ananias, you could have just kept all the money. You didn't have to give it. You not have to put up this false pretense. It, it was your, God had given it to you. You could have kept it. You could have sold it and kept the money. You didn't have to make this an issue. So here's where it's revealed to us that this is not about dollar amounts, meaning how much they gave and how, you know, spiritual they were in that sense. It's about what was going on in their hearts and that they were deceiving. They were lying To their brothers and sisters. So at the end of verse 4, Peter makes it clear. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? So again, this is not blamed on Satan. This is rooted in Ananias's heart, his own sin nature, his choice to follow opposition to God rather than yielding to God's Spirit. You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, this is significant because what happens here, I mean, if you're looking just in theological terms, is a really neat uh, proof of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. As Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, verse 3, he lied to God, verse 4. When did this happen? Well, it could have happened in Ananias' own heart when he chose to resist the Holy Spirit. But I think what's significant about this is that it's, it's when he presents this to Peter that the lie happens. And so the Holy Spirit in Peter was also a sin for Ananias to have lied to Peter about what was going on here. Because the Spirit of God is in us and among us, Sin must be taken seriously. When I lie in my heart, I lie to God. When I lie to a brother or sister in Christ, I lie to the Holy Spirit in them. Interesting. And so God's presence among us is to be taken seriously. Verse 5, at that moment, hearing those words, Ananias falls down dead and Two things could be happening here. This is either the judgment of God, and that would be true if Ananias and Sapphira were not believers, still under the wrath of God. This would be then God's judgment upon them, both the first death and then entering into the second death, eternal separation from God. I, however, think they are believers. They've been participating in the life of the church. They've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. And we know believers as well sin. Because they're believers, then, I do not think this is the judgment of God. This is the loving discipline of their Father. And at first you think of that and you say, well, wait a second. It didn't have the same result? Death? Yes, it did. But not second death. Their destination is what makes all the difference between God's wrathful judgment and God's loving discipline. You see, any sin, even lying, is deserving of death. God is not overdoing it here. They've, they've lied to the holy God It's safe to assume there's not a one of us in the room who hasn't also done the same thing. And it's important for us to remember that sin against a holy God deserves judgment. That's what makes the gift of His Son so marvelous to us. That the Son would take God's wrath for me. But even as believers in the Son, sin must still be taken seriously not to escape God's wrath, but because we've escaped God's wrath. And now we've been given His Spirit. If this is discipline in the life of Ananias and Sapphira, then what has happened here is that their good father has deemed it better for them and for their eternal good to end their earthly life and to be called to His side. Why? Because in resisting the Spirit, they had said no to their purpose for being on the earth. Remember what we learned in the Gospel of John and have been learning here in Acts. There is one singular reason that God leaves His children on the earth after they trust in Christ as Saviour. We know, based on Jesus' instruction, that both the Father and the Son want us to be there in His presence. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that all who would believe in Him, that they would be with Him. This is what He wants. So why then are we still here? Well, also in John 17, Jesus prays that we would be one as He and the Father are one. Why? By the indwelling of God's Spirit. And He says this exactly, that the world may know that I am the Savior that the Father sent. We are here for the world to know that Jesus is the Savior. That's why we're still on the earth after we trust in Christ. Otherwise, the Father would take us to His side right away, but He has a purpose for us. That bears another question. How then do we accomplish that purpose? Again, one way. We yield to God's Spirit in us. So we're here for one purpose, that the world may know that Jesus is the Savior, and there's one way we do that. We yield to the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Ananias and Sapphira had stopped doing that. And so the father says, okay, then let's come home with me. I think it's my take on what's happening here in Acts 5. As a loving father, God decided it was better for them to be in heaven with him. They were no longer fulfilling their purpose on earth. Sometimes God's children become so hardened in sin, it is better for them to be home with him. They're no longer fulfilling their purpose on the earth. They're not gaining eternal rewards for their good and glory and God's glory in eternity. They're just resisting God, and so God brings them home. This is called sin unto death in 1 John 5, 16. We see another example of it in our instructions around the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians 11, that some were not taking seriously the presence of God among them. They were taking communion lightheartedly, disobeying God's instruction. And so Paul says, some have already fallen asleep among you. What does all of this speak of to us? That sin is serious. That sin against the Holy Spirit in us and among us is sin against God. And as people who have been favored by God with the gift of His Son, as people who have been favored by God with the gift of His Spirit, our response then is to take sin seriously. As a result, in verses 5 and 6, you notice... That great fear comes upon all those who heard these things. Young men come and wrap Ananias up and take him out and bury him. This is not meant to scare you today as a believer, okay? I'm not trying to tell you that at any moment God might just take you home. It's actually not scary at all for a believer. We know where we're headed that's our home. That's our destination. We ought to be excited to be there. Instead, we ought to be burdened by the reminder of our purpose for being here. That a God who wants us with Him has put us here for a reason. And if I'm wasting my time resisting His Spirit, O oh Lord, soften my heart to participate in Your purposes again, to bring glory to Your name, By yielding to your spirit that the world may know that Jesus is the Savior. And so this fear that comes upon the church is not terror. They're not afraid of where they're going to go if they die. This is awe and respect for the presence of God among them, in them. And so we recognize that resisting the spirit is sin against God. There are times when you know what God's Spirit wants you to do. We get get so focused on the less important in life, (laughs) the the small and even large decisions that are sort of left to our wisdom and and, and thinking, you know, what am I going to wear today, that being a small decision, or where am I going to work, Or, or where should we live, and I'm not saying God's not in those decisions. He is. He will be faithful to guide you and to help you and to lead you. But actually, as believers, those decisions are far less important than what we know is God's will in our lives. The clear things in Scripture, I could give you a long list of, the depictions of Scripture of what God's will is. Flee sexual immorality for this is the will of God. That decision, far more important than where you live or what you do. Or God tells us to love one another, to, to bear with one another. He tells us to say no to our sinful flesh and to say yes to Him. These are the decisions of the Christian life that matter. And they're won just by saying, okay, Lord, work this in me by your strength. This is why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and respect. Why? Verse Philippians two thirteen, For it is God who works in you. So when the word is at work in your heart by the Spirit of God, do not take that lightly. God is so patient with us. What's the goal of the Spirit's process in us? Well, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ so that even more clearly the world can see in me that Jesus is the Savior. Please don't answer this out loud. How far am I from the Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) Far. (laughs) I got a long ways to go. I don't know where you're at in that process. But think about the patience of God. He doesn't dump it on me all at once. He knows every little thing that needs to be refined. And often God works in my heart, in my life, one little thing at a time. The Word convicts me of something I've done in recent days. I just kind of brush it aside because I've got bigger plans for God, right? Of course. But the creator of the universe, who's in me, just used his scriptures to work in my heart, to make me more like Jesus. And I would brush that aside. These are the important things. Not to resist what God is doing by his spirit, but to yield No, Father, work in our hearts. Beware of rationalization and self-justification. We are so, so good at these things. We talk ourselves out of everything we might have done wrong. You know, having a reason you did something doesn't mean you were right. Being able to sort of Defend yourself to someone else. Well, I was thinking, here's the reason I did that. I did this and this and this. No, no, no. If God has led your brother or sister in Christ to come to you and to say, hey, I saw something, I'm concerned. What was that? What's going on? Can we talk about it? Don't resist the Spirit of God in them using the Word of God to work in your heart. Have a tender heart. Listen and consider. These are the important things. Beware of deception and hypocrisy, lying like Ananias and Sapphira, putting on that front that everything is right between me and the Lord. You know, it's tempting to come to church and to paste on a smile and a good attitude and pretend like everything is right in my heart with the Lord just to deceive others and hide what's really going on. But there's a better way If I'm headed to church and I know I'm extra fleshy today, that's how I say it in my little world. I'm extra fleshy today, right? Maybe you might say, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, it's a little more than that, isn't it? The goal is not to just paste on the happy face that communicates that everything is okay. The goal is to get right with God. And so as soon as I realize, whoa, I'm a little fleshy today, it's time to talk to God. Oh, Father, I don't want this. I yield to you. Help me to say no to my flesh. Now, I may not feel all better by the time I get to church. But that's when I might choose to rejoice and put on a smile, not to deceive people but to choose to yield to the Spirit. And so then when people ask, hey, how you doing today? might say, well, I'm choosing to rejoice. You know, I've been fighting a bad, sinful attitude today. Would you pray for me, in fact? I want to yield to the Spirit. He's helping me. He's helping me. That's honest, transparent communication in the life of the church. Yes, choosing joy... Choosing to rejoice, even though I may not feel it yet, and choosing to keep yielding to God's Spirit as we take steps forward. Friends, God is among us. Do not resist. We come to the final verses here, and here's our final example in Sapphira. And so we see number four today. We need to come clean. There is no hiding sin from God. You know the story, Ananias has been buried. Sapphira walks in there in verse 7, three hours later. She hasn't heard the news that Ananias is dead. She doesn't know what has happened. She does know the sin. Verse 8, this struck me at first. Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Now, at first, I thought Peter should just confront her here. Sapphira, you liar! Or whatever, you know, however Peter would have said it, cut off her ear or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) That was my take, right? Confront, bring this to light. I think this is actually a gift to Sapphira. God doesn't just want our sin to be found out, what does He want His believers to do? He wants us to repent. And so Peter puts out a silver platter, giving her the opportunity to please the Lord by herself coming clean and not just being caught in the act. A gift. Sapphira, what were the numbers again on that land? She repeats the same lie she and her husband had decided to share. Verse 9, Peter asks a question. It's a little different than with Ananias. How is it that you have agreed together, here this is significant, to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Peter asks the question a little differently this time. Why did you decide to test God's spirit? I think Peter's referring to what is new among them now. Now, remember, most of these people, most of these believers, were Jews. So so they were used to God's holiness. They were used to the presence of God among them in certain ways, but mainly at the temple. And believe me, they understood the holiness of God in the temple that they would go there, and when they went there, that's when they had to sacrifice the animal in order to make their sins right so they could approach God in the temple. That's where God's presence was. That's where they could remember that high priests of years past had died because they were not cleansed before they went into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. So they understood the presence of God. What God is teaching them here is the significance of the presence of God in them. Sapphire is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, Why are you choosing to test God here? Why are you resisting what God is seeking to do in you, the Holy God? How much can she get away with? How much can they do without God knowing? Oh, we'll just go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. But no, times have changed. The presence of God by the work of Jesus Christ is now in them. And so, friends, we are to be holy. Verses 10 and 11, she falls down dead, having tried to hide her sin They find her, carry her out, bury her next to her husband, and Luke gives us the key theme once again in verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Fear again is not terror, it's respect and awe for the presence of God among us. This is the first occurrence of the word church in the book of Acts. Because this is the new normal. God's presence by His Holy Spirit dwelling among those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that define? That's the church. The church. And so the church is to respect the presence of God. And from Sapphira specifically, we learn that when we have sinned, we respect God's Spirit by coming clean. Don't. Test the Spirit. There is no hiding sin from God. Maybe you need to come clean today. In light of the gospel, that there's one who paid for your sins for you, and that by the shedding of his blood your sins can be forgiven, or as the scriptures even speak of, washed away entirely because that body of sin that you have done in the past, in the present, and whatever you will do is known by a God who loves you and who sent his Son Jesus Christ, and that exchange is made when you trust in Jesus Christ, your work of sins are placed on Jesus, and He paid for them at the cross. And by faith in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness can be given to you so that you are accepted as His child. But that's not the only beautiful gift of the gospel, because with faith in that Savior, God gives you Himself. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life. Maybe you need to come clean for the first time today and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and have your sins washed away and the presence of God in your life? Would you trust in Him today? Maybe you're a believer that needs to turn back to the Lord again. Yes, your sins have been forgiven, but you're not facing Him because you're resisting the work of His Spirit in your heart. You know there's sin that He wants you to make right. And you're resisting. Turn back to the Lord. If you've said yes to your flesh and no to God's Spirit, come clean. Humble yourself before the Lord and repent. As James says in James chapter 4, he gives us the very instructions we as believers need. He says, This, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Don't resist the work of God's Spirit in your life, and as you come humbly to Him, claim the promise of His forgiveness that He then is the one who lifts you up. I don't need my inner defense lawyer to come to my defense. I look alone to the Lord Jesus Christ who stands before the Father's throne and says to Him, Father, I paid for that. You can draw near to this one. They're holy in my name and your Spirit is in them. Praise God. Don't turn away from the Lord. He already knows your sin. He knew it when he sent his son to die for you. Before it was ever an idea in your mind or heart. He knew it all. There's no reason to hide it from him. There's no reason to hold on to it and to keep it. There's no reason to resist what God's Spirit is doing in our lives. Oh, friend, bring it into His cleansing light. Bring it out into the open. Admit before God. You know that's what confession is, is to agree agree with God about what has happened, what He already knows Coming clean means confessing to God, describing the sin exactly as God sees it. Coming clean also means confessing to those you've sinned against. Now It doesn't mean sharing everything with everyone in the church. I I understand that. But who has my sin touched? Who has been affected by the wrong that I have done? And as it comes up, I'm not seeking to hide it either. So we come clean, because God is in us and among us. Now I want to close with some encouragement. I'm thankful this section of Scripture isn't just Ananias and Sapphira. We see God at work in beautiful ways among the believers who are yielding to Him. And so I want to remind you that in this process of coming clean, We have a God who is so merciful. He's not turned His back on you. If you've trusted in Christ as Savior, He is pursuing you because He loves you. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon Isaiah 55, 7. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Psalm 86, 5. But not only that, with God's presence in us, may our lives be all about yielding to Him and glorifying Him. May you remember this week as you go from here with great joy and encouragement that the Lord is in you. And of course, that means do not resist the work of His Spirit giving you strength to take that next step of faith, to obey His Word and to do what He's called you to do. Be encouraged. He's with you everywhere you go this week, in your car and in your home and at work. He sees everything you think. And even when those thoughts come up that you know shouldn't be there and you don't want there, he's there helping you to say no to them in that moment. Lean on him. He sees everything your eyes see. He knows the experiences you go through. He's with you, He's for you, and He's ready to help. Be aware of that this week and yield to Him and lean on Him and seek His help and find the joy and peace and satisfaction that comes from the work of God's Spirit in your life. He's here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this heavy text. I confess, we confess, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We humbly repent and we thank you for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That we may delight to do your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. We want to please you and to live for you in our lives. We give ourselves to you. Oh, thank you, Father, for the gift of your spirit that you are in us May we live moment by moment in awe of that truth this week, leaning on Your strength, not resisting what You're doing in us. Father, in Your sovereign plan, I I believe You have every single one of us hearing the words of Acts 4 and 5 today for a reason. Whether online or in the room here, as we consider Your Word and even now, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table in our family service, I ask that your Spirit would move in hearts to convict of sin. Lead us to repentance, Father. Maybe some individuals watching even now who are resisting. Oh, Father, don't let them resist. Father, as we yield to you, we ask that you would work unity and love and power, and witness among us. Oh, we want to see your glory, that the world may know that Jesus is the Savior that you sent. We give ourselves to you, and thank you for the gift of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.